Angie's List is now Angie, A-N-G-I, the nation's largest home services marketplace. And they're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project is, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. That's what you want, right? I'm uh, thinking about building out my basement in my cabin. I've been perusing Angie, looking for just the right contractor to get it done the way my wife and I want it done. Now, Angie can help you find the best price for your project. Angie lets you request and compare quotes from multiple pros in just a few taps or book services at an upfront price based on local data. Angie has cost guides that tell you what others have paid for similar projects, both nationally and right in your neighborhood. That's important, right? You can do comparative shopping. Get started today at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I or download the app today. The app and the website are free to use. Angie.com or the Angie app. Go check it out today. Good evening, America, and welcome to this Just the News, Real America's Voice special report, Nuclear Revival, How Innovative New Reactors Are Changing America's Power Play. I'm your host, John Solomon. Tonight, in partnership with our sponsor, ClearPath, we are going to explore how investments into the construction and innovation of a new generation of smaller, more efficient nuclear reactors are changing the face of power globally. And we're going to also ask the question, what does the United States do need to do to lead on this critical opportunity for a cleaner and more ubiquitous energy future? That's what nuclear really provides us. Tonight, you will hear from experts that nuclear power is safer than ever before. Politicians on either side of the aisle have tended to leave nuclear energy out of their clean energy conversations in recent years. But you know what? That's changing. Tonight, we're going to explore why a nuclear energy revival is very real, both at home and abroad, and why it can produce far more energy at far less expense than current renewable investments. In fact, the Nuclear Energy Institute has estimated that wind farms require 360 times more land area and solar plants need roughly 75 times more space in order to produce the same amount of electricity as what one square mile of a nuclear facility can uh, produce. Luckily, with increased education and innovative uh, innovation in nuclear power, uh, nuclear power is rocketing back to the top of the energy choices. Last month, you heard House Speaker Kevin McCarthy right here on Real America's Voice discuss why House Republicans were so bullish on nuclear energy. Tonight, we're going to explore with some of the other experts in this nation on renewable energy what is possible and what is needed to inject a new generation of clean nuclear energy into our power grid. Now, we start this important conversation tonight with a man who's been on the front lines of this debate for a long time. He served in President Trump's administration as the Assistant Secretary for the Office of Energy Efficiency and Renewable Energy. He is Daniel Simmons, and he joins us right now. Daniel, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me, John. There is an extraordinary conversation. The dialogue has really changed, I would say, the last six months or a year about getting nuclear energy back on the table a lot of the groundwork to make that possible, the innovation, the policies, the planning, really started on your watch, under President Trump's watch. Tell us a little bit about what was going on during the Trump years that positioned nuclear energy, well, to rocket back to the top of our list. So there has been a very strong focus um, on um, at the Department of Energy on nuclear energy, um, particularly with the, with the Trump administration, where where there, there was really just a laser-like focus in working to make small modular reactors happen, uh, be able to advance, be able to get them permitted, which we're still quite not there yet. Right. But the, the, the point is we have to get through all these permitting hurdles 
so that we can actually get small modular reactors into the real world so that they can be really truly demonstrated. And there was a laser-like uh, laser -like focus on that during the Trump administration. There was one meeting that I went to of people at, at kind of my rank, and I just filled in for the guy from nuclear energy because I knew what he was going to say about you know, we are working on the permitting. We're working on small modular reactors because we need nuclear energy for the future. Yeah, and that is conversations of that planning really has set the stage for what's happening in Congress and in states around the, uh, the country right now. Uh, one of the areas that has been so impressive, and a lot of Americans have been kind of kept from this knowledge just because it's not in the media every day, the extraordinary innovation that's gone on in shrinking the size of nuclear reactors, making nuclear waste feel actually reusable and recyclable for more lifespans. Tell us some of the most exciting things you witness and are aware of in the nuclear energy space that probably are going to change the way we generate power in the future. Well, I, I, I think there's really two things, or maybe three, but it's one, the small modular reactors these and micro reactors, as in very small reactors. One of the real values of having reactors that are small is that they can be placed almost anywhere, for example. Um, one of the real challenges that we see with like wind and solar is those sources of generation need to be put where you have good wind and solar generation with with, you know, small modular reactors. They can be placed anywhere where you need the energy, where you need the heat. That is that that is huge. Second, once we can start making them at scale, we can hopefully drive down the cost. One of the real challenges that we have had. Um, in the United States and also around the world is that these big reactors are have been really expensive. We've got to figure out how to to, to build reactors of all sizes smaller uh, so that so that we can uh, so that we can really take advantage of nuclear energy. And the the third thing is like one of the coolest things that I saw while I was at the Department of Energy, I went to the Hanford site in Washington. Sure. And while I was there, I saw, the total, the sum total of all of the nuclear reactors that the Navy has used since it started being a nuclear Navy. And it was a small area. It was amazingly small. So when people talk about, uh, you know, when people talk about spent fuel and about how that's a problem, it is like the, the problem is just not that big and it can be contained in, in, in very small, um, very small areas. So I am definitely excited for the future of nuclear energy. Yeah, and I think other people are getting there quicker and quicker. Um, I want to ask a little bit about China, because obviously China is the big energy gobbler right now in the world. It's making long-term energy resource deals to position itself to have a bright energy future. Uh, they seem to be accelerating nuclear as well. What do we need to do in this country, one, to be the world leader, meaning other countries turn to us first, and two, to make sure that we have the supply chain necessary to power ourselves well into the future. So I think we need two things for that supply chain. One is people. Um, one of the things that the that the Trump administration really cared about was making sure that we continue to have workers, people that people that are at nuclear power plants, and that there is a that there is a a pipeline of people that understand the technology. That's that's the first thing we have to have people. Um, that was one of the reasons that they were, you know, they went forward with the Bodel plant in Georgia. Right. You have to have people, people that can construct them, people that can run them. And then the second one is, as we were talking about competition with China, is technology. We have great technology, but what is critical is that we are actually able to build it. 
that we are building these these reactors. And so we need some regulatory overhaul so that so that these reactors can be built, so they can be demonstrated, so that we can really see what they can do. And so people can like truly invest in them as as opposed to like right now people are investing in science projects as opposed to people investing in real energy projects. Uh, that's a great uh, comparison. That's exactly what we got to do. We got to get them into the real energy. Uh, do you feel like Congress understands the permitting part of this? I mean, it took Vogel, what, a decade to get online, really, and it's still ramping up. Uh, do Is there enough bipartisan will, maybe with John Podesta now saying we our own permitting system kind of foiled our clean energy, that maybe Democrats and Republicans can re reform that permitting system in a way that these things can get to market quicker while still addressing any environmental concerns that are there? So a year ago, I probably would have said no, but I am much more um, to see the backlash, especially from the, well, Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom is the perfect example. And also uh, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau in Canada, where both of those guys who, you know, are no friends of the right, and they have done about faces on nuclear. So a year ago, I said, I'm not, I'm not seeing the vision. Now, I think that there is certainly a path forward when you have these, these left-leaning um, elected officials that are saying, hey, we, we need nuclear. And really, when they see that we need nuclear, then they can, and then they start to see some of the problems, then I really hope that they can get on board. One of the good things is, is that like the rising generation of environmental activists are much more open to nuclear than the older generation. The older generation was incredibly anti-nuclear. I mean, that's how, the, how a lot of the environmental groups started. And we still see that in Europe, but even in Europe, things are things things are trending in a, in a in a good direction. And so, with that, I mean, I am very hopeful for the future of what we will be able to do. Um, you know, with bipartisan, nonpartisan um, legislation to reform this process, so that we can really get uh, nuclear out into the um, and especially small um, small reactors out into the real world. Yeah, that's such, that is such an opportunity that uh, is just now really being embraced. One of the places that's been surprising to me uh, where you're seeing it being embraced is that there are private companies that want to build their own private power plants, maybe because they've got large data farms in the future, large shipping firms. Uh, but the idea that you know even some of America's private companies think this could be a private solution, even if my public utility doesn't do it. Tell us uh, why, what's spurred that kind of dynamic and how it may spur public utilities to be a little more innovative, a little more quickly. So partly it's because it has been such a challenge to get these permitted. And so like, so people are being aggressive. People are trying to think of any way that they can really move forward um, and, 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 and to get these, uh, to get these, uh, uh, to, to get the, like nuclear energy, to be able to build it. One of the, and one of the things is there are companies and like, I'm thinking of the tech companies that are, have these really aggressive carbon dioxide emission reduction goals. And what they see over time is they look at the amount of energy that they consume and they want to consume, um, you know, they, they, they want to consume that energy from zero carbon sources. Nuclear is one of the only ways they could really get there. You could have sun during the day so that solar can help out. You can have, you know, wind when the wind is blowing. But these guys are getting more serious about reducing their um, you know, reducing their CO2 emissions. And as a result, like there's, there are very few ways to actually do this other than, other than nuclear. And so um, it's, it is, it is exciting as you're seeing more and more companies that, that, um, that, that, that want to do it. In fact, I just saw um, Microsoft, Microsoft this past yeah. week signed a deal with a company called Hellion. Hopefully that happens. I'm a little bit skeptical, but the point is this, 
let's work hard. Let's figure things out. Let's see what can work. And the and the only way that we can do that is for entrepreneurs to be out there and to you know work hard and and to to have some successes and failures. This the generation of this nuclear generation. When there's failures, thank goodness that we're not talking about nuclear meltdown. But the systems are much safer than they've ever been before. Yeah, such an important point. And entrepreneurial innovation has always been the secret sauce of America's advances. And it seems like that's what's going on right now in the nuclear energy. No, not due in any short part to all the great work you did at the Energy Department, Daniel. Really, a great honor to have you on the show today. Thanks for kicking us off. Well, thanks for having me, John. Always, always excited to talk about the future of energy. Yeah, there's a good reason for excitement. America's well positioned to take advantage of it. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. When we come back from this commercial break, we'll be joined by one federal lawmaker who has helped pass HR1 just about a month ago. That's the uh, land groundbreaking clean energy bill that the House Republicans just passed. Stay tuned and we'll be right back. All right, folks, as we draw near to another critical election, it's not only about casting your vote, it's about elevating your voice, making your voice be heard. AMAC is more than just a senior discount organization. They unite like-minded patriots like you and I, committed to preserving our cherished values and actively opposing the leftist agenda that's sweeping across America. Just look at their recent victories. AMAC members helped to push forward an investigation into practices that inflate drug prices. They successfully defeated ranked choice voting in order to protect traditional voting methods, and they've also helped block a federal takeover of elections. As AMAC's membership grows, Washington is listening. Every new member strengthens this movement. If you love America, visit AMAC, A-M-A-C dot U-S slash Just News to become a four-year member for just $30. That's a great discount. AMAC is not only better for America, it's better for you. Membership gives you access to the AMAC magazine, free Social Security and Medicare guidance, money-saving discounts, trusted news, sweepstakes, and so much more. It's a community, not a service. Take advantage of our election year sale, four years for just $30 at AMAC. By joining over 2 million Americans, they can't ignore your voice in Washington anymore. Join now at AMAC, AMAC.us slash just news. That's AMAC.us forward slash just news. Folks, everyone knows the next medical crisis is just around the corner, whether it comes in the form of a pandemic or something much more mundane like a tick bike. You and your family need to be prepared. That's what we learned from this last pandemic, right? That's where the wellness company comes in. You know the wellness company. We have their great doctors like Dr. Peter McCullough on all the time on our shows. The wellness company and their doctors are medical professionals that you can trust. And the new medical emergency kits are the gold standard when it comes to keeping you safe and healthy and most importantly, prepared. Be ready for anything. This medical emergency kit contains an assortment of life-saving medications, including ivermectin and z The medical emergency kit provides a guidebook to aid in the safe use of all of these life-saving medications. So you know what you're doing. From anthrax to tick bites to COVID and even the bioweapon like the plague, the wellness company's medical emergency kit is exactly what you need to have on hand to be prepared. Rest assured knowing that you have emergency antibiotics, antivirals, and antiparasitics on hand to keep you and your family safe from whatever the globalists throw your way. Go to www.twchealth/justnews today in order. That's twc.health/justnews and use the promo code justnews to save 10%.
Welcome back, America. We continue our conversation on nuclear energy with one of the most important voices in Congress, Congress when it comes to energy. Iowa Congresswoman Marionette Miller-Meeks serves as the vice chair of the conservative climate cost. Yes, conservatives do have a solution for climate change in a, a lower carbon future. She also has been one of the uh, leading voices on reducing carbon emissions for years. Just last year, she took part in the 2022 United Nations Climate Change Conference in Egypt. And she talks about the impact of nuclear energy innovation with us right now. Joining us, Congresswoman Marinette Miller-Meeks. Congresswoman, great to have you on the show. It's great to be with you, John, and great to be with your audience. It's a great honor. You have really been a leader. And I want to knock down one of the false narratives in Washington that somehow Republicans don't care about the environment. That's not true, right? We have Teddy Roosevelt. We've got Ronald Reagan, who did really epic things. Donald Trump, one of the largest conservation laws in history. Uh, but you've been really working on that clean energy plan, the alternative to the Green New Deal. Tell us how, why more Ameri what Americans need to know to understand just how serious Republicans are about this issue. Well, first and foremost, let me just say that all of us, all Republicans, as well as the rest of the nation, uh, we want a cleaner, healthier planet for our children and our grandchildren. So let's start with that, that we want a cleaner, healthier planet. But we also want to be able to compete economically around the globe. And so we want energy that is affordable. Uh, low cost, that it's accessible, that it is abundant, that it is uh, clean, and that it is secure and reliable. So if we start with that principle, that vision that we want a cleaner, healthier planet, but we want to be able to compete economically around the globe, and we start with the caveats, then that opens up a wide array of energy platforms. So I'm agnostic as to the energy source, as long as it uh, can be cleaner and lower carbon emissions. And I think too often we get caught up in what type of energy and we miss that we're trying to lower carbon emissions. So how do we do that? Uh, and you mentioned one of those, and that's nuclear. In Iowa, we have over 50% of our energy is from renewables, over 50% of our electricity is from wind, and we're a net exporter of energy, which is astounding when you think about it in a small state. But we have biorenewables, uh, we have um, compressed renewable natural gas, ethanol, biodiesel, manure that goes into energy production, biomass that goes into energy production. Uh, we have wind and we have solar. And until recently, we also had a nuclear power. So we have all of those energy sources. And I like to break it down into liquid fuels. Um, and then, uh, you know, the type of energy that you need to heat your home, uh, cool your home, uh, you know, to keep you comfortable. And those various, uh, you know, quality of life um, instrumentals. So I think that we have a lot to that we can uh, we can provide and talk about. But Republicans, we uh, use innovation. We want to be pragmatic. We know that there are increased energy demands. And to your point, uh, even at the UN uh, climate uh, summits, uh, they have uh, everyone agrees that the demand for energy is going up. It is not going down. And energy efficiency alone is not going to be able to meet the rising demands of energy. So it has to be affordable has to be a quality of life issue, has to be reliable, has to be abundant, um, and then it has to be secure. Yeah, that's so important because energy security is national security, as you've reminded Absolutely. us often. Um, in some states that aren't blessed with wind like Iowa or sun like California, uh, finding a renewable energy source is a little bit trickier. And nuclear was really off the table for about a decade. People just wouldn't talk about it after the Japanese Fukushima reactor accident, of course, Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, other ones. But 
in the last few uh, months, particularly maybe the last couple of years, nuclear is really being reinserted into the conversation. Why is that? What's going on behind the scenes in policy circles that has put nuclear back on the table? Well, I think a couple of things. And so you mentioned that when you mentioned wind and solar. And so number one, we need to have the flexibility of energy source depending upon where you live. And so yes, there's uh, sun in California, there's wind in Iowa, there's wind in Texas, but there's hydropower in the Northwest uh, and in the, you know, in the uh, central United States as well. Uh, there is natural gas production, which as we know has zero emissions. Uh, so natural gas is certainly an alternative and has really replaced coal-fired plants and reduced uh, uh, emissions dramatically uh, here in the United States. And so looking at what, what flexibility we have among states for what resources they have, why are we now seeing uh, nuclear come back into the forefront? And that's a, several things. One is continual baseload or capacity. So uh, depending upon the energy source, if you don't have a continual energy source, a utility com company can't just you know turn on and off the switch if you don't have sun generating electricity. And if you don't have wind generating electricity, we don't have battery technology at the point where you have storage. So you have to have something else that provides that base load or capacity. So wind and solar capacity, and it, certainly it's variable, but it's about 40% or less. And so you have to look at where else are you going to get a continual base load that will be able to provide energy and electricity if the sun's not shining and the wind isn't blowing. And so natural gas and nuclear are two of those things, hydrogen in the future and perhaps uh, fusion in the future as well. Those are energy sources that we have available now that can provide the capacity to be able to have a continual energy source. And the other thing that's happened with nuclear, so number one, we have this recognition, we have enough experience with wind and solar, they don't have the capacity. Um, and number two, uh, we have the um, what's happened in Europe with, uh, with Ukraine and the war in Ukraine. So what happened? They found out that relying upon Russia for oil and gas and natural gas put them at a disadvantage. So when Germany stopped, um, they wouldn't allow fracking, they didn't develop their own natural gas. They were primarily wind and solar and then importing natural gas from Russia. So they, they were in an energy crunch. Whereas France, who gets most of its electricity from nuclear, did not have the same national security and energy insecurity risk as did Germany. So I think that in general, uh, people have learned, and especially uh, those uh, on the left have learned that you need to have a continual base load. You need something other than wind and solar. And then the third thing would be innovation. So innovation, that great American innovation, entrepreneurial research has shown that smaller reactors, modular reactors, and some of this comes from the government as well yeah. uh, through DARPA, that small modular reactors, fourth and fifth generation reactors, much smaller, they can be put on an existing plant that may have already been retired, uh, that uh, those smaller reactors are much safer. And as we know, very few people have died from, you know, I don't know of anyone that died at Three Mile Island. Um, and so I think that there's this rebirth of nuclear, looking at it as a clean fuel, safer technology, and then getting over this hump where uh, getting acceptance through the public for nuclear. Yeah, such an important thing. We've uh, got a couple minutes left. I want to ask about what Congress is and can do to make this more realistic. Obviously, permitting is a big problem. It took at Vogel in Texas like 10 years to get really up and running. Uh, what are some of the things that nuclear supply? We, we got to get more uranium. We, we outsourced a lot of uranium to Russia during the Obama years. What are the most important things that Congress is going to try to do 
to make a cleaner nuclear energy future possible? So um, we just had a hearing on the Energy Subcommittee of Energy and Commerce on uh, nuclear uh, energy. And Jeff Duncan, Representative Jeff Duncan, who is the chair of that subcommittee, uh, is, you know, really forward thinking when it comes to nuclear. So he's going to continue to advance that. We're going to have bills in the very near future that we will be marking up and passing uh, legislation. One of the most important things that we already did uh, was to pass through HR 1 through uh, Congress, and that is an energy bill. So looking at permitting, um, as we know uh, that the regulatory environment has been so strict uh, and overburdensome when it came to nuclear, that it was very expensive to get a nuclear uh, plant uh, built and operational. So we finally have one that came online uh, and we're looking to uh, develop that. And you, we can use the existing uh, nuclear uh, facilities that are already in place, that already have transmission lines, they've already been approved, and then put a small modular reactor. So how can we fast track places that have already been proven to be safe and they already have infrastructure in place, I think is one of the things that we can utilize to bring nuclear on quicker. So the permitting process, uh, the advancement of nuclear bills that is going to come on. Those things are going to be very important. On the permitting, we're waiting on the Senate for that. Uh, so hopefully we'll get the permitting uh, through on the Senate side and uh, come back to the House for negotiations. And we'll be able to start moving projects forward. Yeah, so important. we got about 30 seconds left. Tell us a little bit more about what your caucus does, because it's becoming so much more influential. And it's really changing the narrative in Washington that Republicans don't have a plan or care about carbon emissions. I think the most important thing we do is to engage. We're not afraid to enter into the conversation. We're not afraid to talk about what solutions we have, that innovation, pragmatism, you know, what our principles are, uh, and then also to counter some of the narrative on the left. Uh, you know, we want a, a carbon life cycle for energy production because it's not all the same. What may be uh, have no emissions on the generation side may have when you look at the entire life carbon life cycle may have tremendous effects on the environment. Uh, when you look at its inception to its disposal. So we want a level playing field. We want to be agnostic to energy source meets energy demands, but also not refuse to engage in the conversation. We can have a cleaner, healthier planet. We can reduce emissions and we can also have an abundance of affordable energy. Absolutely. A lot of heads in the audience nodding as I heard you say that. Congresswoman, always an honor to have you on the show. You're on the forefront of some of the most important work going on in Congress right now. Really grateful for your time today. So nice to be with you, John. Thank you so much for having me. You as well. Have a good night. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with more conversations on the very exciting developments on nuclear power right after this. You know what, folks? Stress may be why you can't lose weight. If you've got moderate to high stress like I do, a doctor-formulated weight loss supplement called Lean could be your solution. Chronic stress wreaks havoc on blood sugar, which can cause your body to store excess fat. Stress can also slow your metabolism, which fuels weight gain. And you know all about stress eating and sugar cravings, right? Now the good news. The studied ingredients in Lean have been shown to help maintain healthy blood sugar levels, help optimize metabolism, and keep your appetite under control. Now, if your life is a bit stressful like mine and you want to lose weight, add Lean to your healthy diet and exercise lifestyle. Now get 15% off and free shipping at takelean.com. That's takelean.com and enter the promo code justnews15. That's the promo code justnews15 at takelean.com. One more time, takelean, L-E-A-N.com. 
Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease, and it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a healthcare provider. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't, you'll pay up. Plus interest and penalties. You need Tax Network USA and you need them now. Tax Network USA has brilliant war room strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. Like a preferred direct line to the IRS. They know which agents to deal with and who to avoid. It's not all bad news for you because Tax Network USA learned of a special limited time IRS offer. They're willing to waive $1 billion in penalties if you qualify. So schedule your free confidential consultation to see if you qualify for this limited time IRS penalty canceling offer. To do so, call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit tnusa.com slash justnews. That's tnusa.com slash justnews. Welcome back, America. This has been a very important discussion about the future of our energy security. As we say often, energy security is national security. Energy security is economic security. We're lucky now to be joined by one of the great minds in the emerging energy space. He also happens to be part of the great ClearPath team that is making this conversation possible right now. Uh, Rich Powell serves as Chief Executive Officer of ClearPath, and he's proud. He's our proud sponsor, as I mentioned. Rich, welcome back to the show here today. Thanks so much for having me, John. Uh, Rich, you have done some extraordinary recent research, and I think a lot of people remember after the Japanese uh, nuclear accident, uh, uh, the public really frowned on nuclear energy. A decade later, nuclear energy is rising up the chart as the perfect solution for a low carbon, actually zero carbon, highly reliable energy source. Tell us what your new poll found. So in short, public opinion for nuclear is back in a big way. So a massive global effort, 13,000 respondents across eight countries have found that, you know, it's really pops the bubble that nuclear is unpopular. Uh, There are five supporters of nuclear energy, especially new nuclear advanced technologies for every one detractor. And support is particularly popular amongst maybe the least likely folks, uh, environmentalists and, and young people. So across the board, it seems like public support for the future of nuclear energy is really bright. Yeah, that is a big change, and it's probably driving a a revival of the discussion in the political circles. It seems to me in the last year to 18 months, there have been more policy discussions in Washington and state houses about really viable nuclear options than there were maybe for four or five years before that. Uh, Is the polling and and the public sentiments driving a, a good common sense discussion now among policymakers? We think so. It's a combination of obviously increasing public support, uh, increasing concern about emissions and finding clean energy sources for the future. And frankly, in the midst of this global energy crisis, concern about energy independence and energy security and energy reliability. You know, nuclear is one of those few things that you can definitively say is clean and secure, drives our energy independence, is reliable, that operates 24-7, 365 through all kinds of weather. It's a 
abundant. It's effectively a limitless source of energy, uh, and it's affordable. It's really one of the most affordable ways, especially to power a low-carbon energy system. So all of those things together really have policymakers taken a renewed look at this, and, and at all levels, domestically, uh, nationally, down at the state level, and, and even exports and internationally. There's a fascinating dynamic going on in the private sector. We think of nuclear power plants, and most of that is in the public sector and with regulators in the states and in, in the federal level. But now many private companies, big private companies, like those who have to run future data centers, centers are getting into the game. Big announcement recently with Dow. Tell us why that made the ground shake in the energy, energy space. So uh, Dow Chemical, you know, the, the largest producer of chemicals in the country, one of the largest consumers of chemicals in the country, has committed environmentally to taking all the emissions out of their production. They're in the industrial space. This is one of the hardest places in the country to do this. And they've seen nuclear as a way to produce both clean electricity for them and clean heat for them. It takes a lot of heat to make all the chemicals that Dow makes. So literally just this morning, they announced that they'd selected the site for the first chemical plant that's going to host a, uh, an advanced nuclear reactor, something called a high temperature gas reactor. It can get really hot. So that'll be the Sea Drift plant down in Texas. Uh, they'll be developing an X-Energy high temperature gas reactor down there in partnership with the U.S. Department of Energy. So you know, public policy and, and, and national policy is playing a part in, in, in allowing this future to happen. That that is huge, and it, it's going to have a long tail of impact as other companies look at doing something similar, particularly energy-intensive industries. Uh, this could be a really big model for them. Um, a few weeks ago, I had a chance to talk uh, to one of the top Polish diplomats in the country. The Polish president was here just recently. Uh, Poland uh, going to be one of the first major recipients of nuclear exports from the United States in a long time. It's been a long time since we were exporting a lot of this. Tell us why that's another big sign of the nuclear revival in our country. So, so Poland's right at the intersection of, of all of these issues. You know, they've got some of the worst air quality in Europe, and they're really trying to find ways to reduce their emissions just to clean up their air quality and, of course, to reduce their, you know, their carbon and greenhouse gas emissions in the long term. And, you know, they're right at the front lines of this, of this land war in Europe. They're absorbing all of these Ukrainian refugees. They absolutely want to be beholden in no way to Russian gas or Russian coal, and they were consuming a lot of both until relatively recently. They're now proudly off of fossil fuels from Russia, uh, but their domestic coal supplies are, are low and down. And so they're really looking to turn to advanced future technologies uh, to, to take that next generation, both for their electricity and then for all the industrial growth that they want to see happen in Poland. And so they were looking at global offerings. And I'm excited to say that an American company has has won the day for a big part of that. So General Electric, one of our kind of nuclear champion uh, companies here in the United States, is going to export 20 of its small modular reactors to one of these Polish utility companies that will build them to power industrial sites and cities and data centers and, and all of these things. And they're doing that in partnership with the U.S. federal government. So they'll do that with the Export-Import Bank of the United States. They'll provide some financing. The Development Finance Corporation will provide some financing and some, some sovereign guarantees to the project of Poland. Um, that, that's just a huge win for U.S. nuclear exports. Today, the global build of nuclear is unfortunately dominated by Russia and increasingly by China. China. And we really haven't had competitive offerings or competitive financing packages to back those offerings. 
offerings into the developing world. I think that's changed in a pretty serious way over the last month. And we're seeing numerous companies across Eastern Europe and across the really the whole rest of the world looking for the first time again at, at U.S. designs and at U.S. financing packages such that we could really take back the lead that we once had uh, on this technology globally. Yeah, it's such an opportunity and it seems to be accelerating. I, I want to do just a little education lesson because I think a lot of people think, well, man, we spent trillions of dollars on solar and wind the last decade, but really it's only three or 4% of our clean energy load right now. Tell us how much nuclear makes of a, a zero carbon energy source in America. So, so nuclear remains by far the largest individual source of clean energy uh, in the United States. And so it's, it's about 50% of all our clean energy. Historically, it's far more than 50% of all the clean energy. We, we've recently seen a rise in renewables. Uh, we've always had hydropower and, of course, wind and solar have come along. These are all great technologies. But you really you have to think about nuclear as kind of the backbone of that or, or the battleship of our, of our fleet of, of clean energy resources. Uh, and that's true also around the rest of the world. It's really nuclear and hydropower that make up the bulk of the clean energy around the world. Wind and solar are coming on well, and that's, that is a good thing. We need all of these things to succeed together. And of course, they all can really complement each other, right? The, the sun doesn't always shine. The wind doesn't always blow. But uranium will produce uh, clean electricity 24-7, 365. So you can imagine putting all these things together into a comprehensive mix. And then, of course, the great thing about the nuclear energy and the uranium is that we really control the supply chain and we control the processing and we control the technology behind it. Some of the other technologies, we've really fallen behind. And so we're beholden on uh, countries like China and obviously industries dominated by the Chinese Communist Party to export those things to the United States. That's particularly true of solar and parts of the battery supply chain today. We have much greater control over the nuclear supply chain. So I think it's, it's a good and noble thing that we're trying to get better control over the, the solar value chain, but we've got it today over the nuclear value chain. And so we can really feel we're, we're advancing American energy security and independence by pushing forward on nuclear today. Yeah, the uh, nuclear outlook has markedly improved for everyday citizens in America. It's improved in the policymakers space uh, it's improved in the private sector. So all these forces are lining up, even internationally now, a market is emerging that we didn't see a few years ago. There seems to be a couple of roadblocks to rapid success. One of those is permitting. Tell us what we need to do to fix the permitting process so we don't have to wait 10 or 12 years like Vogel did to get fully online. Yeah, well, so, so there's, all, there's all kinds of issues in the permitting process, which we've discussed many times on this program, I'm yeah. sorry to say. In nuclear in particular, we have the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and the very specific set of regulations that we have around advancing new nuclear reactors. The trouble is today, we really haven't empowered the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission to, to bring this new generation of nuclear technology online. You know, they've got a pure safety mandate. And, and we absolutely have to make sure that these things are very, very safe. But most of our regulators have dual mandates. Most of our regulators are asked to both keep something safe and to enable the industry. So that would be like the FAA or the, or the Food and Drug Administration, right? They, they have a dual mandate to bring it forward. Uh, you know, the NRC needs something more like that. They need to be empowered and enabled and get the staffing they need to really understand 
all of these advanced designs uh, that are going to come with them through the regulatory process. And then once we've got that sorted out, we also need to just fix our general environmental permitting and, and siting processes as well that apply to anything, because all of the tangles in those will also apply to new nuclear development yeah. in the United States. No the one nice thing about nuclear is, is because you can site it anywhere, it, it doesn't take up nearly as much land as a lot of other things. It actually has fewer uh, traditional environmental permitting issues than maybe wind and, and solar do, and it requires less transmission and all that. So for, from that perspective, it actually has a, a slightly easier road to go on some of the permitting challenges. Yeah, so important. Real quickly, Rich, we only got about a minute left. I just want to ask about this. The other thing is, uh, back in the Obama years, we transferred a lot of our nuclear uh, uranium supply, at least the raw supply, to Russia. We would have to harvest up a little bit more uranium mining here. Is that starting to get underway as well? Uh, absolutely. We, we've got a, a, an enormous uh, resource in uranium in the United States. Our neighbors to the north in Canada have, have literally the finest uranium reserve on, on the planet. So, so certainly in the hands of friends and in the hands domestically, we could do this. We could fuel this all ourselves. And of course, the other thing we should remember is we have an amazing resource in all of the spent fuel sitting around the country at That's the right. existing nuclear sites. People call this nuclear waste. It's really lightly used nuclear fuel. A lot of other countries like France have great records in recycling that and going continuously back into their reactors, we could probably use that fuel over and over again, maybe 10 more times to get all of the useful energy out of it. And that's a huge resource that we have literally just, you know, sitting around the country thinking of as a, as a waste product when really it could be a future source of fuel. That is fascinating, Rich. That's why we always bring you on. You open our eyes to all the possibilities waiting right on the horizon for us. Uh, on behalf of just, I want to thank also Claire Path for making this conversation possible tonight. You guys are doing some really remarkable work and this conversation is a big part of that. So thanks for joining us, my friend. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks so much for covering this really important issue. Yeah, it is important. There's no doubt. All right, folks, don't go anywhere. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to talk more about this right around these messages. Hey folks, if you're a homeowner and you're like me, you want to protect your home, right? But when's the last time you checked on the title to your home? If you never have, listen to this. A new report on homeowners shows we all now have $16 trillion in equity. That's an all-time high in America. That's why you need protection from a scam the FBI calls house stealing. That's when the equity in all of our homes is the target, sadly, of scammers. If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. They're going to send you a complete title scan of your home's title in your first 30 days of triple lock home title protection. That's legendary protection, by the way. It's free. HomeTitleLock.com. Use the promo code JUSTNEWS. One more time. Go to HomeTitleLock.com today and protect your most important asset, the equity in your home. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY 
at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back, America. Over the last few years, you have seen and heard House Democrats push for their Green New Deal, why President Biden and his administration are looking to transform our country by pushing for the cancellation of gas stoves. Yep, you've seen a lot about that. Uh, and so- simultaneously promoting the usage of electric vehicles for which the grid is not ready to support them. While many of these uh, policymakers stonewall, many policymakers stonewall the idea of investing further into nuclear energy, big tech companies like Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and others may soon be looking to rely on small nuclear reactors to power their data centers considering the amount of electricity they consume and they're going to need 24-7. Now, my good friend Mark Mills of the Manhattan Institute joins us now to help make sense of the dynamic. Yes, nuclear power, as we've been talking about this hour, getting a renaissance. Mark, I'd like to ask you, what's behind the sudden turn back to nuclear, which a lot of people have always thought was a good idea? Well, you could you could use one word for that. Re- reality might be the word to use. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we're we're going to use... We're going to need a lot more electricity in the future for the world, certainly in the United States, if we move a significant share of transportation to electric. And, you know, a fair amount will go there. I don't uh, believe the forecast for half or two thirds or all, but a lot will go there. We're a rich country. A lot of people like electric vehicles. They're more practical than they used to be. But if you just did the high level and moved most cars to electric, you come to pretty close and even to doubling the electric grid to fuel them for when people you know, want to put energy in their car. So electric supply is critical, security of it's critical, reliability of it is utterly critical. It's devastating to have outages, and no one knows this better than data center operators and, and those, those infrastructure of the internet and cloud. Uh, and in fact, a little factoid for, for you is that artificial intelligence is the single hungriest use of electricity ever put to, to use with silicon. That's roughly 10 times more energy intensive than conventional computing. So we're going to see a, uh, to use a technical term, giant sucking sound of electrons because of <laughs> chat GPT going into the, into the cloud. And so, you know, a, a good, good for the uh, big tech companies thinking about small modular reactors to power uh, data centers, which yeah. individually use as much electricity as steel mills. And we're building data centers at about 100 times the rate that we're building steel mills. So this this is good. I hope they do it. Dow Chemical uh, has entered, entered a contract to look at putting a small nuclear reactor to power uh, uh, chemical refineries. Uh, I, I smell a trend. This is great. It's good news. Way overdue. Overdue by, I don't know, a couple decades, but at least we're getting there. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's the first time I can remember in this town, maybe since Fukushima, that uh, nuclear energy. And, and what's interesting yeah. in the decades since Fukushima, we've made enormous strides in the innovation of the technology. Yes. I didn't realize this until we were talking offline, but uh, you started your career in the nuclear <laughs> energy industry. Tell us a little bit about that and also how much innovation uh, American nuclear energy companies have been uh, driving yeah. in the last few years. Well, I started my American career in, in fact, right. before that I was in semiconductors. So I, I worked, I've worked both on the things that consume energy, like manufacturing semiconductors right. and microprocessors, and the things that produce energy, like nuclear power. Now, I, was at, I spent the week of the accident at Three Mile Island as my introduction to immigrating to the United States. And then I was on the road for the next oh, seven years defending the virtues of nuclear energy. Obviously, I failed in my mission as a young man because <laughs> we, we, we uh, abandoned, abandoned the industry for a long time. 
Uh, there's been a lot that's happened uh, on the technology front. The we know a lot about how to build nuclear power plants now. I've been doing it for a long time. I mean, uh, push. You know, it's roughly a 70, 70 year anniversary. The first nuclear power plants that were commercial were in the nineteen fifties. Started building them out in the sixties. Uh, a lot of new Navy experience. Uh, so we know a lot about them. We know a lot about how to build them. In fact, the surprising fact is there are probably 70, 70 new designs for nuclear power plants in the pipeline at various stages from very small reactors. I mean, literally the size you would use to power a house, which may seem crazy. And that was sort of the dream of the dawn of the nuclear age. It's no longer crazy. It's technologically feasible. It's the kind of reactors NASA is designing for uh, the Mars and moon programs because you're going to need electricity on the moon and right. Mars especially. So, and then all the way up to reactors that are sized for houses, literally house size reactors, uh, building size, data center, and and uh, industrial size reactors, and of course the big the big kahunas that are on the screen that you need to uh, to power you know cities. The whole range is needed. Just like in aviation, we have uh, aircraft from jumbo jets to uh, small small aircraft. We haven't had that range of engineering designs in nuclear power uh, up until very recently. And that's one of the problems. The problem has been that the it's sort of a one size fit all design, which is not suitable for wide, you know, widespread use of the power plants. So I think it's going to happen technologically. I'd say the 70 designs are in the pipeline. I would hazard a guess that probably all of them will work technically. They'll actually do what the, uh, the designers and innovators and entrepreneurs claim. Right. Whether they're all manufacturable at scale at the prices that they think they can make them for, well, that's uh, you know, if I were going to guess, let's say a third of them will will pass that test, which is a tough test. But that yeah. means a couple dozen new kind of reactor designs in the pipeline. This is very exciting. Uh, it's profoundly different than anything else that humans have ever come up with for making making electricity. It's as magical as fusion, with the one big difference: we can actually build fission reactors. And yeah. it it put into context how magical it is. An ounce of uranium in nuclear fuel provides as much energy as three hundred thousand pounds of coal. So it's 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 consequential to um, to come up with designs like this and proliferate them in society. So it's it's probably the single most important pivot in energy markets that's happened in a half a century, uh, comparable comparable in many ways to the shale revolution. And also, many of the designs are U.S. based, whether we build them or not. A jury is out on that because of the regulators, not because of the innovators. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I want to talk about what I call the California conundrum, which is that California <laughs> is the utopia for all of the green energy movement, but it has had rolling brownouts. It's been holding on for dear life to one nuclear plant that's 50, 60 years old. Um, <clears throat> there, the effort to reduce carbon emissions has actually reduced electrical reliability. In that state, Germany's having a similar thing. And right. while they've created this crisis for themselves, they've now turned to dirtier fuels to get yeah. rid of a cleaner fuel. Tell us a little bit about the insanity and the lessons learned by Germany and California. Yeah, it's, it's a bizarre thing. Uh, first of all, electricity has to be produced when you want it because it's really hard to store. And no matter what all the happy talk is about using batteries, there's really silly talk at society scales for cars and, and phones and computers that's very practical for very limited use for, for batteries that grid scale. Yeah. And in fact, the new Tesla uh, plan for a green future, it's kind of ironic. It includes very few batteries in their vision. They imagine a lot of hydrogen as a way to store energy, which is much better than batteries. But back to California, 
So since you need electricity in a high-tech society when when we need it, uh, you have to have electric power plants to provide power when you want it, not when nature decides you can have it, hence the problem with wind and solar, and of course, the profound advantage of nuclear power plants. They essentially operate 24-7 for years at a time. They have what you call capacity factors, the percentage of time they are available to produce electricity is in the 90 plus percent range. Can be, you know, compared to solar and wind that are in theory at the 30% range and in practice, depending where you live, are available 10 to 20% of the time. So if you could translate this in economic terms, just think about this. For a, if you build a, a megawatt of nuclear plant to match the reliability of that output, you have to build three or four megawatts worth of wind or solar, which means even if they were at, quote, price parity per megawatt, they really cost three to 400% more than even nuclear power to yeah. deliver reliable electricity to grids. So California is learning that lesson. Uh, they're on the brink of systemic blackouts. We'll see what happens in the coming year or two. Germany has had more frequent uh, small outages and reliability has been a challenge. They've been able to uh, skirt the problem you know, because Europe's a smaller country. They have you know, borrowed, bought, and begged for electricity from neighbors. Uh, California's ability to do that is compromised by the fact they don't have enough transmission capacity to borrow enough from the neighbors, yeah. and the neighbors won't have enough to share with them as they increasingly chase power plants that you can't call them when you need them. Right. So it's, I think we're going to uh, face sort of a rail politic in the sense that, as you'll see in Germany, that uh, when they shut down nuclear plants, which is, uh, I saw prima facie insane. Uh, for a whole set of reasons, yeah. they're burning more coal. I mean, they're burning That's record amazing. quantities of coal. They're actually dismantling, ironically, old old wind farms yeah. to get access to coal fields <laughs> to dig up German coal to burn coal. Yeah. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You can't. You really can't. And, and you got California importing Russian and Saudi Arabian oil. It just yeah. it just makes you scratch your head. I want to turn to something because the largest emission reduction in carbon emissions over the last decade has come from the natural gas revolution here. Right. In addition to taking nuclear off the table, uh, Democrats and leftists are now trying to take uh, uh, natural gas off the table. Republicans are going to have to come up with a plan because the next generation has been totally convinced they got to reduce carbon emissions. Can a combination of nuclear and natural gas get Republicans to the place that Democrats want to get but never can get there with solar, wind, and all the things they're doing? Yeah, I, I mean, I think like, let's set aside my opinions on what would be sane if I were a king of the world. Right. You know, you could design, design a perfect energy system. We live in, thank goodness, in a democracy where you have to make compromises. To your point, I think that the combination of domestic natural gas and domestic nuclear power is a, a, an obvious and natural compromise, a bridge across the divide politically for those who are eager to cut carbon dioxide emissions, burn fewer hydrocarbons, but have reliable and low-cost electricity. Because it's, it doesn't mean there's no role for wind and solar. It just means that as, as, a, as they have today, they have a small role. Right. It could be bigger than it is today. Just you know, penciling it, you can imagine doubling or tripling the share of electricity coming right. from wind and solar in America. But that, that's that's miles and miles away from providing all electricity reliably. So I, I think I think we're on the cusp of a political bridge. I think that's important as a practical matter. Uh, both parties will have to become serious about regulatory issues yeah. because right now, even if we had a next generation design ready to go, getting it permitted and built in time. Uh, is a really high hill to climb. And I, I'm a little worried that what, in fact, we'll see 
is these reactors built elsewhere. I mean, the, the biggest construction of nuclear power in the world today is in China. And yeah. the biggest exporter of nuclear power plants uh, are Ch the Chinese and Russians to other parts of the world, building plants for other people. We're not, we're not significantly in that game because we've uh, deliberately, frankly, destroyed our industry by inaction and action to make the uh, regulatory structure so difficult. Yeah, a permitting reform. There was a shot heard around the green world yeah. recently when John Podesta, one of the leaders of the progressive movement, said, we got to get permitting done because even clean energy projects are getting tied up by the environmentalists sure. now. It's pretty remarkable. Mark, yeah. you do such amazing work. Tell us what's the best way to stay following all the common sense, great energy policy work you do every day. <laughs> well, you can find me at the uh, Manhattan Institute's website, of course, because I'm a senior fellow there. And I have a, uh, a website which is uh, a, a repository of everything I've written, more than most people would want to read, called tech-pundit, techpundit.com, where you can find any almost anything I've written, you know, videos, all that usual stuff that we that we all do, including uh, clips from my wonderful uh, experience with you, John. Wow, we love those experiences. We're going to make them even more frequent because you bring a great common sense approach to what this great crisis we're facing in our country. Mark, a great honor to have you on, my friend. Thanks for joining us, sharing your wisdom. All right, folks, it's hard to believe, but on that note, we're going to conclude yet another special report. We want to start with some great thanks to Rich Powell and our sponsoring partner, ClearPath. If we have learned one thing tonight, it's that through the prioritization of nuclear energy investments, we can defend our nation's sovereignty and retake the title as the world's leader in energy uh, independence and exporting, financing clean energy solutions beyond solar panels and windmills should be a non-negotiable item. And nuclear energy is clean, safe, and by the way, zero carbon emissions. That's exactly what the green activists have wanted. Well, it's sitting right in front of us. With that, I want to send us off into the evening. Please take time and visit www.clearpath.org to learn more about the great work that they do there and uh, other organizations who are pillars in the effort to get a common sense clean energy future started here in America. With that, I want to say thank you to everyone and wish you a, go a good evening and God bless. We'll be back tomorrow night. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. 
Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe.